First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. Good morning. It's so good to be back in the pulpit and sharing the Word of God with you today. Someone said that whatever you do on the first Sunday of the year can be repeated many times through the year. So y'all talk to Scott, hopefully, and say, uh, give Brother Larry another chance this year. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness, your grace in our life. Lord, as we stand on the brink of a new year, we thank you for your past blessings and for how you blessed us in the last year. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness to our church and uh, to the families in our church. We thank you, Lord, for the possibilities of this next year of what you're going to do through a Micah 6-8 project, Lord, in our mission trips that we take, uh, Lord, and just uh, as we continue to focus in, uh, on the greater things that you have in store for our church, thank you for our pastor and pray that you'd bless him and his family as they're on vacation right now, that you'd bring them home safely to us. And uh, Father, we thank you so much for just our Lord Jesus Christ and who he is, what he's meant to us in his death on the cross, his resurrection, how he sustains us day by day. Lord, we just thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your spirit who gives us strength day by day. Lord, I pray now that your spirit would speak through me, and uh, Lord, that your will would be done in each heart and each life this morning. And Father, that you take the words that I share and use them, speak to our hearts, motivate us to become a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ, is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Paul had uh, finished his third missionary journey. He was on his way back to Jerusalem, which probably was not the wisest thing to do. In fact, on the way, he had been warned uh, at least three times by people through their dreams or visions that uh, he was going to have a rude awakening when he got to Jerusalem. In fact, uh, many prophesied he would be in prison and uh, possibly killed as a result of going there. And yet, uh, through his stubbornness, his steadfastness, believing this was God's will, Paul went on to Jerusalem. He was not there less than a week when some Asian Jews saw Paul in the temple, and they had seen him with one of the Greek, uh, one of the Christian Asians uh, earlier that week, and they assumed that he had brought one of these Gentiles into the temple. And so they began a, a mob scene where they almost literally told, uh, tore Paul apart, and uh, so much that the Roman uh, captain there, Licinius, was, uh, came on the scene and was able to save his life. Uh, there was a trial that ensued the next day. The Jews brought all kinds of accusations against Paul. Paul divided the group by talking about he believed in the resurrection of the dead, uh, which the Pharisees believed in, the Sadducees did not believe in, and again a mob ensued. Uh, they took Paul back into prison, and, and uh, during the night, Paul's nephew came with word that there was a group of Jews that had banded together uh, to assassinate Paul. They were not going to eat or drink until they had killed him. Well, the word got to Paul. Paul sent uh, the word to the, the captain, and he in turn took Paul with 200 soldiers during the night, and they traveled to Caesarea, the home of the governor. And there with Governor Felix, once again, the Jews came for a trial, and uh, they could not decide anything. Yet Felix put Paul in prison for two years. Uh, he was in prison in Caesarea. 
He was given liberty to have people come and talk to him and, and uh, was able to write letters. Uh, but there two years, and finally uh, Felix uh, left and a new governor came on the scene, Festus. And Festus wanted to, to appease the Jews. He wanted to please them. He wanted to get in their favor when they asked that Paul stand trial once again. And uh, he asked Paul, uh, they want you to go to Jerusalem. Now Paul knew that if he went to Jerusalem, his life would be threatened. And so he protested and he did as a Roman citizen, he appealed to Caesar. And so uh, because he appealed to Caesar, he, uh, he was going to go to Caesar. And uh, yet uh, Festus didn't know what kind of accusation. He didn't know what kind of charge uh, to write on the, the letter that was uh, sent to Caesar, uh, what the charge was against Paul. And so he had another trial uh, with uh, King Agrippa there to listen to Paul's testimony. We have that in Acts 26. And yet we find that uh, after this that Paul was sent to Rome for trial, was kept in prison for at least two years uh, before he was released, probably because of lack of evidence or accusers showing up. But uh, while he was in prison in Rome, he wrote two or several letters. One of them was this letter to the church at Ephesus. And twice in this letter, Paul calls himself a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look in chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. And you notice most of you have a, a hyphen right there. Uh, Paul will then take a side trip for the next 14 verses he will talk about the great mystery of Christ uh, in the church being made up of both Jews and Gentiles. And then he'll continue the prayer beginning in verse 14. And then in chapter 4, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling of which you were called. Now, when you think of this phrase, a prisoner of the Lord Jesus, what I want us to focus on this morning you know, Paul could have easily said, I was a prisoner of the Jews because the Jews were the ones that captured him in the temple, were about to kill him and uh, caused him to go on trial. He could have said, I'm a prisoner of the Romans because at least four years of his life, he's going to be under the hand of the Roman government in jail, in prison. But no, he says, I am a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in fact, in Acts 26, when Paul is before uh, Festus and Agrippa, uh, he talks about how he came to know Christ on the road to Damascus. He talked about how uh, God had called him to minister to the Gentiles and uh, how Jesus had risen from the dead. And as when he said this, Festus got all upset and he said, Paul, you're insane. You're mad to talk about a resurrection of the dead. But he turns to Agrippa and says, Agrippa, don't you believe you understand the things that I've been sharing and Agrippa says, almost you persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul's response then was, I wish that all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. In other words, he said, I wish every one of you were a prisoner, not, not one in chains, but a prisoner to the Lord Jesus Christ, just like I am. Some months ago, I was in Romania and I was teaching through this book of Ephesians and this phrase just captured my attention when Paul calls himself a prisoner of the Lord Jesus. In other places, he uses the phrase, Paul, I am a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. And those terms are very simple or similar. They uh, are simply stating that uh, Paul says, I am 
controlled by Christ. Uh, Jesus is the Lord of my life. And uh, that he, he belonged totally to Jesus. He was his slave, his prisoner. And uh, I asked myself, could I make that same claim? I'm a prisoner of the Lord Jesus. And what did Paul mean by that expression, that I am a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ? So I want us to explore that this morning, what it meant to Paul, what it means to us, uh, that we are a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. If Paul was here, I believe he would say, first of all, that that meant he was captured by the Lord Jesus. Our pastor just finished a series, uh, B.C., A.D., and there definitely was a time Paul could tell you exactly when he was captured by the Lord Jesus. There was a B.C. and an A.D. in his life. Before Christ became part of his life, Paul might have been considered a man of the year uh, in Judaism. The Jewish People magazine would have called him the outstanding Pharisee of Pharisees because of his commitment to wiping out this sect called Christians, followers of the way. And uh, he was so determined to get rid of them. He, he probably was, he was present at the stoning of Stephen. And after that, he led a campaign where he went after men and women who claimed to be followers of Christ, uh, even going to faraway cities to, uh, to capture them and bring them back home. And it was while he was on one of these journeys that he was captured by Christ. On this road to Damascus, he was struck by a blinding light and a voice from heaven saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Now, Paul was not persecuting Jesus, but he discovered that when he was persecuting the body of Christ, he was persecuting Christ himself, that Jesus was alive. He was the resurrected Lord, and he met him that day, and uh, he becomes, Saul becomes Paul, and his conversion is one of the most dramatic in all of church history. Paul would never be the same again because he had met Jesus. But not only was he captured by Jesus, he was also captivated by him. Immediately he begins preaching the good news that Jesus Christ died on the cross and he rose from the grave and that he wants to be the Lord of each person's life. He wrote some amazing words about Jesus. Turn over to the uh, a few, few uh, books following that to the book of Colossians. And in chapter 1, in uh, verses 13 through 18, Paul shares some of the greatest uh, description of Christ in all the New Testament. He says, beginning verse 13, he, was delivered, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. And so Paul says, Jesus has a kingdom. He is king. He goes on and says in verse 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood. He is our redeemer. He says, uh, he, and the forgiveness of sins. He is the one who forgives us of our sins. And he says in verse 15, in the image of the, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So he is, when we look at him, we see God. And he is preeminent over all creation. He says, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. So he is the creator of everything. And, then, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. He holds all this world together. 
And then verse 18, he's the head of the body, the church who is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. And so uh, what, a, what a beautiful picture he describes who Jesus is. He was enthralled, he was captivated by Jesus. And the question that I think we need to ask ourselves, have I been captured by Jesus? And I believe that uh, another term we could use that, have I been converted? Has my life been transformed? Has my life been changed? Have I been born again? Have I accepted the truth that I need to repent of my sin and put my faith and trust in Christ? That's what it means to be captured by the Lord Jesus Christ. And am I captivated by him? Is he the Lord of my life? Is he my everything, my all in all? There's an old hymn where Will Thompson says it so well. He says, Jesus is all the world to me, my life, my joy, my all. He is my strength from day to day. Without him, I would fall. When I am sad, to him I go. No other one can cheer me so. When I'm sad, he makes me glad. He's my friend. Jesus is all the world to me. I want no better friend. I trust him now. I'll trust him when life's fleeting days shall end. Beautiful life with such a friend. Beautiful life that has no end. Eternal life, eternal joy. He's my friend. I wonder if we could resolve that in 2019 that I will be captured and I will be captivated by the Lord Jesus Christ. He, I am a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. But not only was he captured by him, Paul would say that means I am being controlled by the Lord. The first question that Paul asked Jesus after this Damascus Road experience was, Lord, what will you have me to do? You know, he realized that the ownership of his life had transferred from himself to the Lord. He no longer was the boss of his own life. He had a new Lord, a new master. In fact, one of Paul's favorite words to describe this new relationship was Paul, a doulos or a bond slave of the Lord Jesus. That he was not a servant, and there is a difference between a servant and a slave. You know, if you're a servant of someone, you can uh, say, uh, I don't like this job, I quit. Uh, I don't have to do what you're telling me to do. I can go my own way, do my own thing. But a slave does not have that option. He does not have that choice. He uh, was completely owned by his master. He had no rights. And some of us think that would be terrible. You know, we live in America, which accents uh, a freedom uh, of self and, and the right to make choices, do your own thing. And yet a slave... Uh, we say that's terrible, but being a slave to Jesus should not suggest a negative unpleasantness. Douglas Laird says the opposite. Here's what he says. Instead, it promises all those things deeply desired by everyone. You see, the slave did not have a hand in determining the direction to go or the place to work. The master directed every step. Uh, likewise, God, if in complete control of our lives, guides us in every step we take, vocationally and otherwise. Nor did the slave worry about his income or his provisions. That too was the master's responsibility. The slave could work without a single worry about food, clothing, and shelter. It was the master's concern to care for his slave. The slave was not to worry about daily needs, hospital care, or even retirement. The master had the responsibility 
the basic concerns of where do I go, what do I do, and what do I get paid for it, are all cared for by our servant relationship to our master. This is not bondage. This is freedom. And again, when we think of being a slave to the Lord Jesus Christ, don't let it throw you and say, oh, that must be terrible. I have no, no options, no choices. No, we're in the hands of the one who knows us best, who loves us most, and will guide us each step of the way. And Paul shares this uh, Christ control of his life in Galatians 2.20, where he says, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, the truth is that everybody in this room is a prisoner to someone or something. You're a prisoner today to something or someone. Uh, and and uh, the, the question is not to ask, uh, uh, am I in control, but who, who is in control of my life? Who am I a prisoner? Who's my jailer? You see, some people <clears throat> are in prison by self. They're self-controlled. And uh, <clears throat> I'm my own boss. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'll do my own thing. And uh, we live in a very me-centered generation. But Rick Warren, in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, the very first statement in it, it's not about you. <laughs> it's not about you. It's all about him. And, and so some people live their whole life being controlled by self. Some others are other controlled. We're people pleasers. <clears throat> we want to conform. Uh, we wear what is the latest social status in clothes, uh, cars. Uh, we keep up with the Joneses in other ways. We are very much impacted by what others think about us and what our society says is cool and right and good. And that's why as parents, we ought to be very concerned about who our children hang out with, who their friends are, because those friends are definitely impacting uh, the lives of your children. And so we can be other control. Some of us are circumstance control, you know, by our looks, by, by our relationships, by our bank account, by our health, by our job. So many circumstances around us just simply control our life. And the question we need to ask, am I going to be controlled by my circumstances or am I going to be controlled by Christ? And then there are some of us that uh, some live life out of control, uh, just doing what comes naturally. We've come up with a name for that. We call it addictions. And uh, our addictions control us. It may be addictions to drugs, to alcohol, to gambling, to sex, to food, to success, to sports, and you name it, a host of others. Uh, and we do not control these addictions. They control us. Turn your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 8. There's a fascinating encounter that Jesus has with some of the Pharisees. And he talks about freedom. And uh, beginning in verse 31, Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. Let me just stop right there and say, what were they talking about? I mean, at this very moment, they were in bondage to Rome, right? Rome was in control of the nation. There had been a time in their history for many years that they were in bondage to Egypt. There were times where they were in bondage to Assyria and to Babylon. 
Uh, in fact, for most of their history, they were in bondage to somebody. And yet said, we, we were not in bondage to anybody, never have been. How can you say you will be made free? And Jesus answered them, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in his house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Now, there's a fear that many of us have if we let go and let God be in control of our life that, uh, you know, things will go bad for us. It'll be terrible. Uh, and it's really based on a false view of the character of God. That uh, just like Satan came to Eve and uh, told her, God said, you, you can't eat of that tree because he knows if you eat of that tree, you'll be as wise he, as he is. In other words, God is withholding something from you that would make you happier, more fulfilled in your life if you do it. And, uh, and so question the character of God. He doesn't have your best interest in mind. I love what Lewis uh, Sperry Schaefer who was a former president of Dallas Theological Seminary, shared one time at a banquet that he was supposed to be the main speaker. <clears throat> the banquet had gone on and on and on, and when it came time for him to speak, you know, it was well past the time that the, the banquet should have been over. And so he got up. He says, because of the lateness of the hour, I'm just going to share my three points. And uh, he, was, he was supposed to speak on the reasonableness of fully surrendering our lives to God. In other words, surrendering to God's will. He says, reason number one, God is all wise and knows better than anyone else what is best for my life. He's all wise. Secondly, he is almighty and has the power to accomplish what is best for me. And then three, God loves me more than anyone else does. You know, think about that. God is all wise. He knows what's best for us. God is almighty. He has the power to do what's best for us. And then his love, he knows he loves us. Uh, more than anyone else. He concluded, therefore, the most logical thing I can do is surrender my life to God. What more can I say? What more need I say? And I think for us today, the same conclusion <clears throat> as we think about being a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ is not a bad thing. It's a great thing to be controlled by a Father who is all wise, who is almighty, and all loving in our life. Amen. I was wondering if y'all were awake out there. Okay, amen. <laughs> and then being a prisoner of Jesus means I'm captured by him, I'm controlled by him, but last, I am committed to him. I am committed to him. The call of the Lord Jesus on Paul's life was, as he said, I'm a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, for you Gentiles. As Peter was called the apostle to the Jews, Paul was called the apostle for the Gentiles. He grew up in a city of Tarsus, which was a Roman colony. <clears throat> and, uh, and yet he was trained as a Pharisee and a rabbi. Therefore, he had the best of two worlds. He knew the word of God thoroughly as a rabbi, as a Pharisee, but he also knew the world. He knew the culture around him. And so he was uniquely designed and prepared for this task of being a, a, a missionary to the Gentiles. When uh, Antioch, first came, uh, the gospel first came to Antioch, uh, the Jews in Jerusalem sent Barnabas to Antioch uh, to be the pastor, to minister, to help these new converts. And the work grew so fast that he needed help. And so he called as his associate, Paul, uh, to work with him for over a year. 
And then it was in that same city that the, the church in Antioch recognized the giftedness of Barnabas and Paul and sent them out on a missionary journey uh, to the Gentiles. And he was effective in sharing uh, the gospel wherever he went. And uh, on, on all, these, all his life, these missionary journeys throughout the Roman Empire, he would uh, even say in prison, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so being a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, is more than just being involved in a few activities, being faithful on Sunday morning, as great as that is, giving your gifts, your offerings. You know, when you look at a plate of ham and eggs, you know the chicken was involved, but the pig was committed. Yeah. He gave his life for that ham, okay, that we have. And so our involvement, our involvement, uh, our commitment is, is not just part-time or a few occasions throughout the year. It's total surrender. And I love missionary stories, and I thank Jennifer for sharing about this project that's before us. But uh, Mark Batterson tells the story of being inspired by early 20th century missionaries who became known as one-way missionaries because they packed all their earthly belongings in a coffin, you know, when they were sent overseas, uh, knowing that they would never return home. And the story is told of one missionary named A.W. Milne who felt called to a tribe of headhunters in the New Hebrides. Hebrides. And uh, I think that's somewhere in the Pacific, South Pacific and all. But uh, as he went, all of the missionaries up at this time had been uh, martyred by the tribe when they came. But it didn't keep him, Milne, from chasing God's will for his life. He lived among this tribe for 35 years, never returned home. When the tribe buried him, they wrote the following epitaph on his tombstone. When he came, there was no light. When he left... There was no darkness. What a great testimony of the commitment that he had uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the, the question I want to leave with you today is, what, what kind of purpose has God called us to? You know, our, our, our church has adopted a, as our life goal a commitment to make disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. How's that going for you? You look back over 2018, how many disciples did you make? And more importantly, as you look ahead to 2019, is there someone that God would place on your heart saying, I want you to come along beside that person, and I want you to love on them, and I want you to share with them, and I want you to help them to come to know Christ, and then disciple them uh, to be more like Jesus? Is there someone that God would say today to you, I want you to make disciples? What about your personal growth for 2019 as far as your commitment to Him? Uh, to spend time in the Word of God. Would this be the year that God would lead you to read through the Bible completely for the first time? You know, you can do that by reading three chapters a day and five on one day on Sunday. And, and so in a year's time, in about 15 minutes, 20 minutes a day, you could read through the whole Word of God, hearing God's purpose and God's plan for your life, and just committing to listening to Him and obeying what He tells you to do. What about a commitment to grow in giving and generosity? Because the Bible reminds us that where our treasure is, our heart will follow. What about in our service, uh, making a commitment of our spiritual gifts to serve the Lord uh, in some capacity this year? It might mean that you uh, get a passport so that you can be ready to go when God says go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. 
It, it may be that uh, you'll serve in the Micah 6-8 building project this year. Uh, be a volunteer to help there. It may be that you can serve the growing families of our church by volunteering in our preschool area. All kinds of ways that you can serve the Lord. And I just mentioned a few. And I need to ask myself, am I really a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or am I living for myself? Or am I totally surrendered to Him? Do others know it? Or am I just trying to fool myself? Some years ago, I came across a uh, testimony that a Marine speaking at an FCA uh, chapter at the Citadel uh, shared. And it goes like this. I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of His. I won't look, look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. And my future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, mundane talking, chintzy giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live in His presence, lean by faith, love by patience, live by prayer, and labor by power. My faith, faith is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions few. My guide reliable. My vision clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up, or slow up till I've preached up, prayed up, paid up, stored up, and stayed up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go till He comes, give till I drop, preach till all know, and work till He stops. And when He comes to get His own, He'll have no problems recognizing me. My colors will be clear. Amen. What a way, what a statement of a commitment to Christ. And, uh, and so the question I'm going to leave with you today, am I a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ? And the question really is, whose prisoner are you? Whose prisoner are you? I want us to bow for a word of prayer. As we pray, I want to ask you today, have you been captured, first of all, by Jesus? That is, have you given your heart and your life to Him in total surrender, asking Him to forgive you of your sins and to be the Lord, Savior and Lord of your life? That can happen this morning as you commit your heart and your life to Him. And then as you uh, have been captured by Him, are you totally captivated by Him right now? Is He the Lord? Is He the, the, the Master in control of your life? And are you committed to Him? I know that God wants that in our life. There may be some of you at this very first Sunday of the year who would be willing to come and just get on your knees and on this platform and on the steps in front of us and just say, I want to be a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ this year. I'm going to ask you to just come out of your seat if that's your desire and, uh, and just commit yourself fresh and new to Him uh, to be a prisoner, a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, this is our prayer today that you would totally capture our hearts, our lives, our minds, our will, 
and that we might know what it means to be a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing the freedom that comes when we totally settle out to you. Lord, if there's someone here that needs to commit their heart and life to Christ, someone who needs to say, I want to be a part of this church family, Lord, uh, that you'd lead them to make that decision public today. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. 